when we are doing ministry in a cultural context where the church is barely producing fruit, that is leaving pastors incredibly spent, isolated, burnt out because you've got all of the responsibility weighing on your shoulders and it's just exhausting. Continue this theological discussion in a car or in a jailhouse from the cops. Welcome to Everything Just Changed, where we envision a post culture war church and equip leaders who just can't even anymore. Everything Just Changed is hosted by Bryce Hales and Brad Edwards. Well, welcome back to Everything Just Changed. We are talking, uh, we are in this new series that we're calling Bait and Switch, The State of Pastors and How Ministry Just Changed, where, Brad, we're really talking about what the heck ha- is happening with pastors. And so in the previous episode, we we talked a little bit about the problem, but you raised this really interesting metaphor um, about sort of the hurricane response um, aspect of this. So we all we all knew to expect hurricanes, events, but we had no idea how to deal with the slow escalation of climate change. And so that that metaphor that we're exploring here is sort of the difference between uh, pastors being prepared to deal with acute crises as they show up. I mean, everybody knows going into ministry that you're going to be there, um, you know, in the hospital, you're going to be there at the bedside, you're going to be there when uh, people are going through really difficult circumstances in their lives. And, yeah. and we also know that like, ministry is going to be challenging. There's going to be, you know, there's going to be a financial crisis in the church from time to time. There's going to be all of these um, very difficult events that will have an end to them. And it feels like what you're getting at with this hurricane metaphor is that there's a difference between just um, sort of doing the first initial stage um, like the hurricane is just rolled in and there's a bunch of people who are in temporary housing that need, you know, health, they need a uh, food and they need a roof over their head. Mm-hmm. There's a difference between that and even the medium term. Okay. Now we got to rebuild the city. Mm-hmm. But I think what we're actually getting at is there are underlying causes to the reality of the hurricane's existence that we call climate change. Right. And in so many ways, I think what we're wanting to do in this series is get to the point of trying to understand what are the systemic causes underlying what, what is going on uh, in pastoral ministry that is causing not uh, these acute crises, but just ongoing accumulated crises that is just causing pastors to feel like they're at the end of the rope. Yeah. And this is a very similar uh, concept that we're trying to describe that if if you have listened to and if you don't listen to the Rebuilders podcast, you should um, just to make that plug because uh, we're going to have yeah. Mark Sayers back on. Um, he's he's we've got an interview on the books for that, um, but he talks about this in terms of like we are now in a networked world where there is an increased complexity that you can't just draw this straight linear line between cause and effect but that there is a kind of viral aspect to cause and effect that has an accumulation um, and is is unpredictable. 
Uh, and so you don't know what effect a change in one space or place is going to have until it actually has an opportunity to filter through this kind of complex web of relationships that are are, are actually open to change and are being changed now because of the speed at which that connectivity is happening. And so there's all kinds of ways. Like I, I know that was a really like way in the clouds kind of conceptual <laughs> um, description, and we're going to get drilled down into that. Um, but it is the difference uh, between trying to see uh, the, the problem and solution for this through a lens of individualism versus something that is far more uh, systemic or, in, or environmental, like holistic and comprehensive, right? Thinking like, like it's not just, hey, our pastor's you know, taking care of themselves and, you know, resting. Like that's valid. That's important. That's not why this is happening though. It may be an exacerbating circumstance, but there are systemic massive shifts that are happening where the move, the ground is moving out from underneath our feet. And that's what we really I mean, want to focus on, especially just to like, just to kind of, you know, put a fine point on, finer point on that. There have been studies for a long, long time showing that pastors are not particularly healthy people. I mean, certainly physically, right? And and yet, um, people have managed to like get through and get by. And yet, something has definitely shifted in the last couple yeah. of years when it comes to what's going on with pastoral ministry. And so, in in our last episode, we talked about some of the symptoms that we're that we're seeing on the surface. But what we want to try to do today is ask the question of what is causing pastoral burnout. And so um, what is changing systemically, culturally, what is uniquely happening right now? And how is that affecting pastors and ministry? And so really these are like, we've got some ideas, but yeah, this is um, a, this is a theory. These are like theses. These are, yeah. So we have five, five um, theses that we want to present today. And um, these are really questions that we're going to be asking uh, throughout the rest of the series. And again, we'd love to hear your questions too, your thoughts too. Let us know on our Facebook group. Okay. So number one is um, this idea that we are between ages. And so, um, gosh, we've talked about this before, Brad, but like I have this um, sort of gut feeling that I should probably explore further that we um an Amer- as an american like the american culture never really dealt with the end of the cold mm. war and so um post world war 2 i mean we know there's this uh, the baby boom kind of generation comes and but it it kind of ushers in this age of like relative peace and prosperity right and there was a very clear enemy right we knew who was bad and who was wrong and then the cold war goes away and that sense that there is a clear enemy that is evil has like disappeared from the american cultural landscape and i think we don't know what's next and so i think that uh gosh different people have pointed to different i mean certainly 911 we see um that cultural reality beginning to change and now it's even accelerating post covid and i think we're in this this in between age where we don't really know what's coming next. We don't really know exactly where we are. And so it involves just a ton of like flailing around before we figure out what's really going on. Yeah. No, I, 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 man, I think, I think you're right. Cause 
Yeah, it has so much to do with uh, the end of the Cold War and the the relative peace and prosperity that has very much been basically spreading and increasing throughout the world since then. Um, and yes, with with some glaring and disturbing exceptions, but there has been a sense for as long as I've been alive, right, that world wars and um, massive state-on-state conflicts are a thing of the past mm-hmm. because we have, as a human civilization, progressed to a point that, you know, we may not, you know, go too much further beyond this, but we're certainly not going to backslide, right? And right. then, and like, I mean, how, how about Ukraine? What what year right. is this? Is this is this nineteen? Is this nineteen eighty four, or is this you know two thousand twenty two? It's it's. I think there is. Uh, we're in the midst of having, an idealism, stripped away, and the temptation mm-hmm. is going to be to just go straight towards cynicism, and and kind of kind of swing the pendulum in the other direction. Uh, yeah. But I was literally just talking to to, you know, a group of of, of people from our church, Bryce, that last night. Um, and talking about uh, some of the things that we've processed here on the podcast. And and, and I, I said then, and we'll say again now, that I think we are in the thick of a season that probably is going to last for probably another decade before yeah. we are able to actually get a grasp on and understand, okay, what is the world that's coming next? Because the, the world that was before, we thought had passed you know, in the early 90s with the fall of the Berlin Wall. But actually, no, we, we've just kind of been living in this, this kind of you know, three-decade denial uh, of a reality that, that we've been able to kind of distract and anesthetize ourselves from having to yes. fully deal with. Yes. Yeah. And gosh, there's so much more we could get into. I think there is also the sense there of, of the, that Christianity has sort of been riding on the coattails of that, that time mm. of relative peace and stability. Um, but I, I also think, I mean, another aspect of this is, is kind of like what you're saying. We thought that, you know, global conflict was a thing of the past. We thought that all these things were the thing of the past. And I was just remembering as you were saying that, that, um, early in the pan, like, remember when nobody knew about the Spanish flu? <laughs> yeah right remember like a hundred years ago there was this thing called the spanish flu and right at the end of world war one that resulted in the deaths of like hundreds of thousands or millions of people globally and um now that is something that we have remembered i actually read a book on the spanish flu like in the early days of the pandemic but the idea that global pandemics are um things that happen from time to time. Mm. Um, we thought that technologically we had sort of bested that and we had controlled yeah. nature and we had controlled our, you know, maybe our worst instincts, you know, our aggression. And now it's all sort of coming to the surface again. And I think we're in this place of like, oh great, this is still a like, these are things that happen. Pandemics happen. World wars happen. And we don't know how to deal with that yet. Yeah. Like, we, yeah, we, you and I have used the language of winnowing uh, yeah. to describe what is happening culturally right now. And there's a humbling aspect of that to where we're discovering that we are not, that, that we, we're actually discovering that we, uh, what we defined as merely human was actually a superhuman definition. And, and as that's stripped away, it feels like something subhuman 
but it's actually becoming a lot more accurately and merely and fully, but fully human. Um, that's that's what can be on the other side of this if we you know resist that cynical urge. But yeah, there's a there's a great humbling um, that we're experiencing as a culture right now, and it's I mean. You know, normally it's, it, it happens when, when we are humbled in life by some kind of personal crisis or event. There are people who are not going through that crisis who can support us and help us to process and to see that. But when we're all going through it at the same time, yeah, we're all th- that's hard. That's really time. hard. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh. And I, I mean, I think humbling, it, like that's such a great word. <laughs> um, I, I've just finished reading um, Dan Allender's book, Leading with a Limp. And he, one of the things he says in there is, uh, nobody chooses humility because humility yeah. <laughs> only comes from humiliation. And so uh, I, I wonder if part of this in between a in between ages that we're working through right now is sort of like the, it's going to take time before we embrace humility and stop fighting against humiliation. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so um, second thesis, what's causing pastoral burnout and this bait and switch is that pastors are sort of the canaries in the coal mine. If pastors aren't thriving, we talked about this in the last episode, then the church is not going to be thriving and individual Christians aren't going to be thriving. So there's a real sense in which, uh, I mean, this is just um, generally true of leadership in general, that an organization is not going to be able to transcend the Uh, maturity level or health of its most senior leader. And so if pastors are not doing well, then those that they lead are not going to be doing well either. Yeah, absolutely. One of the best illustrations I've heard this, I wish this were original because it's brilliant, Bryce. And uh, (laughs) my my counselor, who's also a pastor uh, and who's primary kind of client base are, are other pastors told me uh, this this story that uh, one of his clients told shared with him and so you know if you're listening whoever provided this uh, well done um, he, he said it's kind of like uh, you know this this guy this pastor has a dog and and in their yard that butts up against kind of some woodland areas a rabbit had come in to you know toward the back of the property line but still you know visible from the back you know the back door and this rat rabbit gave birth to baby rabbits and was nesting there the dog knew it and could see the rabbit could smell the rabbit and just was barking nonstop um to like trying to to get out there and you know pastor's not going to let his dog go like terrorize some poor baby bunnies <laughs> right so but so yeah. he doesn't let the dog out and you know lets him out in the front yard on a leash or whatever and but on the third day after this had been going on, he noticed that the rabbit didn't seem to be there anymore. And the dog had kind of stopped barking, but was still wanting to go out. But, you know, the, the rabbit was gone. And it was like, well, that was that was fast for a rabbit to wean its young and, and leave and go somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And so he, he goes outside and he goes to where he had seen the, the, the rabbit like nesting. I don't know what the proper term is for rabbits. Like, like I know they're not birds, but whatever. It's a warren. And, and, and isn't he it goes, a warren? It's, it's a warren. Is yeah. Is that? <laughs> oh, man. You know, who says we don't learn anything uh, on this podcast? Um, what, what's even uh, crazier anyway, is it's not like we edited that where I looked it up. Like, I, why do I know that it's a warrant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, we would, we should do that more often. Edit. Yeah. Um, brilliant. Anyway, this pastor goes outside to his backyard to the place where he's seen this rabbit. And the rabbit's not there. 
All he sees instead are little tufts of fur and blood. And I didn't know this either, but apparently, yeah, oh, no. yeah. Apparently, oh, no. mother rabbits, um, if they perceive their baby bunnies being threatened, I don't know why evolutionary, evolutionarily they will do this, they eat them. Oh, no. So this mother rabbit ate its young. Oh, no. Out of prolonged oh no i thought that was going i thought that was going in a different direction <laughs> yet yeah, no it's not it's not it didn't end well right no uh the the it was it was the constant anxiety and threat oh, perceived man. threat of the dog that caused the mother rabbit to eat its young even though it wasn't the pastor knew like it, the dog was never going to get to it but the threat of attack was enough to trigger this response yeah and so I'm I'm telling this illustration because all of the change that we just got done talking about, all of the anxiety in our culture right now is causing not the mother rabbit to eat its young, but for the young, for the congregants, for the, for the sheep to eat oh, its shepherds. Man. Well, and this, this kind of makes me, it reminds me of, I was just listening to um, Jonathan Haidt had this incredible article um, in the Atlantic a couple weeks ago about like why the last 10 years have been so uniquely stupid. And then he was talking to Russell Moore um, about, about that article. And one of the things that they were talking about was that it, it used to be Russell Moore said, I used to tell pastors that like, you know, um, the loud, angry voices in your church is only a minimum, minimal number of the people, you know, it's, it's yeah. five or 10%. You've got the 95, 90% of people that are, are there and that are with you. But what Jonathan Haidt has pointed out is that social media has provided a platform for those voices where you can no longer just ignore the, the extremes on mm. either end of the spectrum. Mm -hmm. And so the, the level of it, it, it may be that, you know, 80, 90% of your congregation is still just doing life, plugging along, happy, content, you know, dealing with the occasional ups and downs of life. But now like that, those, those 10% of voices um, have just been able to ratchet up the level of anxiety yes. for, for pastors in such a way that it's just, it's just unsustainable. Yeah. And he also made the point in that article that like, even if you just quit social media and you delete your Twitter and Facebook account or whatever, social media is still indirectly and through other people shaping society mm -hmm. and injecting anxiety into the system. Yeah in ways that are, are, is still affecting you anyway. It's yeah. not just, Hey, how much time are you spending on Facebook? It's, 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 this is having an ecosystem cultural climate change impact that is causing the, the kind of minimum uh, level threshold of anxiety to rise like, like floodwaters and it's not going back down. And that creates a, a very fragile, ecosystem, both within society in general, but also within in key institutions, especially. Okay. So next, um, I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to even pose this as a question here, but next cause, underlying cause of, of what's going on with pastors, I think is the question of, is is our system outdated? And, and so let me just highlight a couple of the things that lead to that. One is the way that we train pastors um, especially the sem the cost of going to seminary. I mean, if you 
if you are um, graduating from seminary with twenty five or fifty thousand dollars or more in some cases of student debt, that means like that has systemic knock on consequences for the rest of your ministry. You have to be able to pastor in a place that is going to pay you enough to pay off those student loans, right? Um, so as church planters, another way we see this, if you have to have the skills, um, if every ministry position also requires the skills of being a full-time fundraiser and being able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, that has uh, incredible um consequences for the sorts of people who are going to be able to plant churches and the sorts of communities in which we are going to plant those churches, right? You've got to be able to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars and then raise up a congregation that can support those expenses within a period of a couple of years in many cases. Um, It it seems like a lot of these um, systemic issues are maybe (laughs) uh, certainly not designed to function in the sort of cultural climate that we're living in, they maybe made sense in a church um, that had, let's say, cultural ascendancy, that had more cultural influence than mm-hmm. um, than the world in which we're living now. But when we are doing ministry in a cultural context where the church is barely producing fruit, that is leaving pastors incredibly spent, isolated, burnt out because you've got all of the responsibility, not just for preaching and for pastoring and for shepherding people, but the financial, the administrative, um, all of that weighing on your shoulders. And it's just exhausting. We'll get back to our conversation in just a moment. But before we do, I want to ask you a very serious question. Where are you hearing the perspectives or voices that actually calm your storm, that actually point you to Jesus and help you to lean into all that's changing around you with both truth and love, with both humility and confidence? I mean, obviously, for me, the answer is Twitter. No, no, nobody says Twitter. Nobody says Facebook. Nobody says social media in general. But seriously, where? You need to find a way to turn up the volume on those voices. If our podcast does that for you, then takes 30 seconds to sign up for our podcast newsletter. It will update every time a new episode comes out and, we hope, serve as just one small step in turning up the volume on the right things in your life and turning down the volume on all the, well, all the clutter. Yeah, in a lot of ways, we have uh, trellises designed for far more fertile soil and a far more uh, uh, conducive ecosystem and environment, right? And I I think like if you just look at the incentive structures that are currently in place, right? As a, so I, I know church planting the best, right? There are other aspects of this that we could probably examine too, but right. We, we have been operating off of the assumption that a, a church and evangelical theologically conservative church planted just about anywhere in the country. Um, but especially in like a suburban environment, um, and, and, or a metropolitan environment, uh, will reach financial self-sustainability in three years. 
Yeah. I don't know. That ha- that actually has not been true in the American West or really outside of the American South or Southeast for, for the most part for a, the better part of right. a decade, right? If the yeah. pandemic hadn't happened, the table probably would have been financially self-sustaining around now. Um, but because of the pandemic, it's probably instead of, you know, around the five, five and a half year mark, it's going to be probably somewhere between seven and eight years. Um, and like, I'm fine with that, but we're not adapting our models to match that, right? The modern church planting movement was actually like all of these incentive structures were created by and during the baby boomer generation, um, where, uh, that was, you know, pre nine 11, pre 2008 financial crisis, pre pandemic, pre a lot of things that are all, uh, have systemic challenges right now. Um, but that, that was a time when giving was a far higher value. Um, it, it was, it was a lot easier to plant a church because you could count on a baseline trust in institutions. And we're going to talk about that more uh, in depth in a second, but mm-hmm. there was just, it, there was a cultural, uh, baseline assumption that that would be good and necessary. What's changed and what we haven't adapted to is right. We're, we live in this decentralized world where, uh, you know, GoFundMe and, you know, social media driven fundraising has put in front of people so many more options to give. And, and I get frustrated when people give like, for example, millennials a bad rap for like, they're not very generous. Bull crap. Millennials are incredibly generous. They're just spread a mile wide and an inch deep. And they don't assume <laughs> that the church should be the primary recipient of their charitable giving. It's instead, it's almost like a kind of a diversified portfolio of, of options that, you know, this is where I will give, uh, you know, fellow millennials a hard time that are, is more about like an identity marker than it is like a, a kind of, mm. uh, Christian obligation. Um, it more is a, right. a means of expressing your identity than it yeah. is. Yeah. It's almost more virtue signaling the sorts of things that I'm supporting, um, than making a significant impact in yeah. supporting a few things yeah. in a deep and, way. And, and, and I, I might, I hesitate a little bit with the label of virtue signaling because the implication there is that like, it doesn't have any meaningful impact. I think this does have a meaningful impact, but I think it, it does suffer from the fact that it's spread out so far. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that it's not, it's, it's, it's a different motivation. And so if that's the case, how should church planting change? Right. Yeah. I mean, even as you're thinking, or even as you're talking right there, I'm just thinking, you know, um, if you are going to the mission field, broadly speaking, uh, as a missionary, you're going overseas, you're not raising support for three years or five years, right? You're raising support ongoing. We are moving to, you know, whatever the country is, and we're going to be there for 20 years. And so we are asking Uh, people to support us on a monthly basis, like indefinitely. Right. And that's not the way that we do church planting. We do church planting and we're like, Hey, in five years, this thing isn't going to need your financial support anymore. And what that is revealing is that we don't, we're not viewing the context of, of our American culture as a mission field. Yes, you're absolutely dude. One of the most, you know, this one of the most demoralizing things in the world is to have a uh, you know an application or a request for financial support denied <laughs> off the bat, just without any further consideration, by virtue of you merely being more than three years out from yeah, because well worship. you're at year four, so why aren't you self supporting? There must be like, something well, wrong with you. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, sorry, it's something wrong with the church plant. I try not to take that too personally, but um, <laughs> uh, yes, I do. No. Um, yeah. yeah. No. We even enc- we even encountered this uh, recently in January on New Year's Eve. Right. Uh, for those of you who live outside of Colorado, especially uh, this, we had a, a fire just like tear through um, the city of Louisville and some some areas where a lot of our people come from. Like my wife and I almost had to evacuate. We had our car packed and everything, and a thousand homes were destroyed by fire. Now, by yeah. God's grace, like only like a, a one family in our church, maybe, maybe two had any damage to their house at all. But we were like, we were like ready to go to the kind of hurricane versus climate change point we were making earlier. We were ready to go to respond. And we were like, okay, how do we like locate need, you know, uh, uh, donations for, to give to families who lost everything. Like how do we mobilize and, and leverage like this gift that we have of having not been badly affected by a fire that like has affected our neighbors. And it took about, it took me about five or six days to realize, oh crap, none of this is actually needed (laughs) because, uh, you know, for a combination of reasons, one, it's a, it's a, a wealthier area than, than most. Um, and so people had insurance, but also GoFundMe and and these you know um, social media driven ways of helping people had already happened, and like our people were actually already engaged, like they didn't need uh, like their pastor to mobilize something because they're like, no, nah, I mean I, I'm helping my neighbor. They started GoFundMe. Can I actually put this on the church's Slack channel? That'd be great. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And so it's a difference between a, a centralized and a decentralized reality that our systems have not adapted to. Mm-hmm. And the way that we are planting churches, the way that we are doing ministry, we actually haven't like gone back to the drawing board to ask, should we do this differently? Right, yeah. Okay, so fourth underlying cause, and gosh, we would be remiss to not mention this. And yeah. this is related to our last series on power, but the exposure of abuse, and there have been scandals related to the abuse of power and sexual misconduct I mean, gosh, like on a, it feels like at least once a month now you're hearing of uh, just a a new situation coming to light. And obviously that is calling into question uh, sort of the the validity and legitimacy of, of pastors themselves. And also pastors are unequipped for navigating the anxious systems that, um, that results from this constant sense of who, what's the next thing that's going to delight. Exactly. Yeah. yeah everybody's hypervigilant, both the pastors and the congregants, because nobody got training or any kind of clarity on how to handle real actual instances of abuse, nor how to respond to or not respond to false accusations thereof. Mm-hmm. And how do you like systemically, as a as an aspect of church governance, how do we have the accountability that actually frees congregant and pastor from the anxiety and stress and hypervigilance of having to worry about that because there's enough transparency and trust built into the system? It's mm-hmm. it's it's like we we it, the the idea that we now trust social media as a uh, I'm going to overstate this for the sake of illustration, but like almost as this kind of messianic hope for holding leaders and institutions accountable is really tragic and ironic because social media is algorithmically 
manipulating us and and those mm-hmm. kinds of stories and instances get highlighted the most and put in front of us the most because it's what keeps our eyeballs on our screens and us engaged mm-hmm. and it's actually taking advantage of and manipulating fear of abuse and hurt from abuse. Yeah. Yeah. Right. An algorithm is a very poor digital Sherpa. Oh man. Gosh. I mean, that's such a, that's such an important point because it, it creates this kind of both and, um, dynamic to that problem, right? Because there, there's both the awful and tragic reality that yeah. abuse is happening and that's making things difficult. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. And yet it's also that that's now being leveraged uh, to kind of create this. It's monetizing people's yes. pain. Yeah. <sighs> wow. And, and it's, it's not just bad for the people who are worried about abuse happening to other people, right? We, we talked in the last series to Diane Langberg um, where Dr. Langberg w- was saying that like, yeah, when we call things abuse that aren't abuse, it actually harms and makes it harder for victims of abuse because it, it, it ex- so expands the definition that it renders it almost meaningless and therefore makes it harder to see it where it is yeah. happening. Yeah. Yeah. It's bad. Man. It's bad. Okay. And so then the fifth kind of thesis that we've got here of underlying uh, causes underlying this climate change um, effects that is leading to the pastoral burnout is changing attitudes towards institutions. And gosh, we've talked about this a lot in our podcast already, Brad, but I think as it relates to ministry and pastors, it kind of has um, two different uh, sides of this coin. So one is that congregations have different expectations for their pastors than pastors have for themselves. And I'm so excited when we air this, we're going to talk with Will Williman about how the therapeutic oh, kind of impulse of our culture has led Christians to expect their pastors to act as sort of mini therapists. And biblically, yeah. that's not actually what a pastor's job is. So congregations have different expectations for their pastors than pastors have for themselves. But then on the other side is the reality that that many kind of non-denominational megachurch, that whole world, uh, it sort of reinforces this consumer-driven experience of Christianity. So it, it's not that I am um, joining this church because I'm going to be shaped and formed by it, and that's going to take place over a period of time, weeks and years, but it's, I go to this church because of what I get out of it. Yeah, I recently got the opportunity, was invited to speak at uh, Spanish Rivers Church Planting Summit, and one of the things that I, I had in my talk that, that like you could hear the like breath just like leave the room when I said this, which is like the best way to describe and summarize the changing attitude toward institutions is it used to be that about, you know, eight years ago, the typical church visitor walking in through the front doors of your church went from expecting to being shaped and formed by the church to expecting the church to be shaped and formed by them. And that reversal has had like really catastrophic consequences in terms of, I mean, how do you care? How do you shepherd people? Well, mm. it, when, when the expectation is that the shepherd would only do it according to the sheep's wishes. I mean, I mean, yeah. I, like, 
I want to be really clear, like none of us as pastors are entitled to that freedom and invitation. However, why else, why are you here? Like I didn't, I didn't get into this job to become a mascot for somebody's spiritually speaking. And Jesus isn't that for any, anybody either. He's the king. Yeah. And so how, how does the churching, how is the church reflecting that and being faithful to that? Um, so the best uh, illustration I think I've found that, that, that helps kind of give a handhold for how this is working out in society as a whole is um, Verge Magazine did this amazing video interview with uh, Keanu Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss, who play Neo and Trinity in the Matrix series. Um, I say that because if you are, uh, you know, Gen Z, you may not have seen the Matrix, and that's weird. If you weren't in college in the year like 99, 2001-ish like I was, you maybe didn't watch The Matrix every Saturday night like I did in yeah, college. Yeah, it's kind but, of a big know. deal. Um, <laughs> so they were doing this this kind of, uh, frankly, a puff piece for uh, the the new Matrix Resurrections, which, by the way, is is one of the most ironically oxymoronic uh, named movies, I, I, I think, ever. <laughs> um, but that's yeah. beside the point. Um, and in this interview, um, they're just talking about like, Hey, th- this whole the, the the word metaverse didn't exist when the first trilogy was made, and now that you're doing this follow up with Matrix Resurrections, like how are you process? Like what has changed in the world since then? And to answer that question, Keanu Reeves he 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 talks about how he went over the house of a friend of his who's a director in Hollywood and was explaining to his 15 or 17 year old daughter, the director's daughter, um, the plot of the Matrix. Uh, because she hadn't seen it and wasn't familiar with it. And he kind of described it as like, you know, it's about this guy who is, you know, is shown that everything he thought was real actually wasn't real. It was just this kind of digital uh, virtual world. And so it's about Neo, this guy who is, is freeing himself from the, the slavery and oppression of uh, this false reality and, and working to free all of humanity from that not real reality. And Keanu Reeves was floored by her response. And she, she asked just very, not ironically, sincerely, genuinely, like, I don't understand. Who cares if it's real or not? Right? Oh, man. Who cares <laughs> if it's real? That is a statement as a question, that is a statement of what I was describing just a minute ago, that the typical visitor walking through the front doors of the church are expecting the church to be formed and shaped by them instead of the other way around. That is a virtual reality posture that has been shaped, mm-hmm. especially like the younger you are listening to this, the more like that is just like, what do you mean I'm wet? I'm a fish in water. I don't know how to describe that. That's just, that has been mm-hmm. the, the uh, default assumption of how we should approach epistemology or the understanding of truth and in institutions. And that is that we had like pastor, we didn't have a seminary class on that. We were still talking about postmodernism and well, man, that's cute. I would love to actually let that be the dominant thing. Like <laughs> that that's easy by comparison just to even. Yeah. About. I mean, we were talking about, you know, when we're talking about postmodernism, we're talking about like, is truth relative in theory? 
And what you just described is sort of like a, I don't even care about the question indifference to that question. Yeah. 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 Okay. So there's another, like, I think element to this, that, um, just the sort of hyper individualism and the Mm. way that, that, that is shaping us that I think is relevant here. I was talking with my wife yesterday. I, I just got, um, a copy of Andy Crouch's new book called the life oh, we're yeah. looking for reclaiming relationship in a technological world. And, um, gosh, he, he does such an amazing job of sort of teasing out the implications of things that Brad, you and I've talked about, um, in our, in this podcast, um, at length, but he, he is this part where he's talking about, um, you know, when a, when like a, a two or three year old has a temper tantrum, what they're doing is they're acting, they're, they're, they're getting upset because they are not at the center of the universe, mm. right? Oh, man. I want this thing and I don't have it. So I just like lose it and make it miserable for everybody else. And now the way that te- technology has influenced our parenting is that so often when the two or three-year-old loses it because they're not at the center of the universe, we solve that problem by handing them a screen. And a Whoa. screen lets them be at the center of the universe again. Think about the implications of, a, of, of like hum, the human race, you know, where instead of the, the process of growing up is learning, I'm not at the center of the universe. And actually that's a good thing because God is on his throne and, and he, he is ruling and upholding all things. Um, we're now sort of discipling our children into a existential way of being that says, well, when you feel like you're not at the center of the universe, we're going to solve that by helping you feel like you are at the center of the universe. You know, it's, it reminds me of the, uh, Brennan Manning quote that we're all just beggars showing other beggars where the bread is that got changed. Yeah, and now we're narcissists showing other narcissists where the mirror is. Oh man! If that's not a discipleship challenge that we have got to figure out, yeah, yeah, I, man. Okay, and pastors, we 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 that applies to us too. Well, sure, but here's where we maybe even like put a bow on this because that is a discipleship challenge that is not going to get solved anytime quickly. Yeah, and and. The challenge I think that many of us as pastors face is, I think, the the hope, the expectation, this is the bait and switch uh, aspect of this thing. When we were in seminary, nobody ever said this to anybody explicitly, but we all sort of believed, just become a really great preacher mm. and you will be yeah. effective in ministry. And you know what? You can preach really great sermons, but if you're preaching to people who have been shaped into this expectation that I am at the center of the world, the center of the universe, a great sermon is not going to preach, uh, not going to fix that. And again, let me just be clear that I'm not saying that's only on the people listening to the preaching, because there's also a very real, very real reality that part of the way that preachers get a sense of validation is through getting responses to great preaching, right? <laughs> so I'm I looking mean, responses to de- average preaching is awesome too. Oh yeah, sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, this is yeah. this is crushing and depressing. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> I mean, but 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 really. 
in one sense, I, I, I hope that both, you know, pastor and non-pastor listening, this is introducing some buckets or some handholds that, that can help organ, reorganize the furniture in our brains and in our hearts so that we can be able to like, you know, have our lens shaped and look back into our ministry context or in our world and, and realize like, oh, that explains a lot, actually. Like mm-hmm. we, are, we are identifying problems and frankly, don't have a whole lot of ideas around solutions ourselves, right? Yeah. But, but there is a good and there is a help in just being able to name what is happening such that we can um, be resilient and endure in the midst of it. Mm. Well, and maybe just to like even end with where we began with this hurricane illustration, mm. you know, that the, the hurricane hits and there's the immediate needs for health, food and shelter, um, but those affected, but then there's the ongoing work of rebuilding. Yeah. And, and yet there's the further, the, the farther deeper question of like, why are hurricanes happening and how, how, what can we do about climate change? Mm. And I think that's maybe helpful just to think about because in some ways we're just trying to, we're just trying to name, like, these are the factors leading to the climate change that is leading to pastoral burnout on a massive level. And that means it's not going to get solved immediately. And that's okay. But I do think that there's incredible value in trying to together discover what the causes of that climate change scenario are. Absolutely. So that's what we're going to do. Join us, please um, hop on our Facebook group. We would love to hear your thoughts, your questions. Maybe you've got some other, um, you know, categories that you think are leading to what's going on here. And we would love to hear from you. And also this is a really great time to share this podcast. So if there is a pastor or really anyone that you know, who, you know, maybe you've had the conversation where uh, you've talked about some of these categories with them before, um, please just forward it to them and say, Hey, this is actually going to connect with some of the things that we've talked about and, um, you know, share that encouragement because that is a major goal for what we're doing with this mini series and, uh, use this opportunity to, uh, bring some people into the conversation that, uh, maybe you've been waiting for a fresh start or a new, uh, good opportunity to jump into the deep end, um, and not just the tail end of the, the previous series we we're in. So, uh, please like share and subscribe. We will be back soon right here on everything just changed. Thanks for listening. If you found everything just changed compelling, please rate and review the show. This way, more people can find it. The podcast is hosted by Bryce Hales and Brad Edwards. It's edited by Nathan Michelle. Theme music is by Danny Rankin and David Rigel designer logo. We look forward to having you join us next time on everything just changed.